And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In September of 1985, this congregation completed a major renovation of its sanctuary and facilities. Twenty months later, on May 24, 1987, it went up in flames when a fire broke out above us during a Sunday evening worship service. At 7.25 that evening, workers from a nearby railroad station noticed smoke from the top of our roof and called the police. And a police officer came inside the building and set off the fire alarms. Everyone evacuated the building, and five minutes later, fire shattered the stained glass windows above the choir area. Fire personnel battled the blaze from inside for 30 minutes before being called out. And when the ceiling started falling, hundreds of feet of hose and equipment had to be abandoned inside. And about midnight, the steel beams in the administrative building gave way. The video and the photos that you're viewing were collected and archived by our own Mike Downing as an act of love, and we're grateful. Leading up to the fire, the members, many still among us today, sacrificed to make the dream of a new larger sanctuary possible. They sacrificed finances, giving over and above their regular offering for a few years. They sacrificed comfort and convenience, meeting in the gym down the hill while the new building was being constructed. And while I was not a church member at this time until about four years after the fire, I've heard story after story about this pivotal moment in our 187 years as a congregation. I've heard stories of shock, horror, and tears as people gathered outside on the streets watching a dream appear to go up in smoke. I've heard stories of people in and outside the congregation wondered if this might be some kind of divine punishment. I've heard stories from local people who, whenever I share where I pastor, they say, well, isn't that the church that burnt down? But most of the stories that I have heard about this congregation is about its resilience and God's goodness during that time. Stories of how God kept everyone safe that night, from members to emergency personnel. Stories of how the Bible on the altar table was miraculously unharmed, that Bible still on display just down this hallway. Stories of how members showed up the day after on Memorial Day to see what could be salvaged among the wet ashes and ruins. Stories of meeting for worship with praise and thanksgiving on lips and hearts just down the hill back in the gym once again. Stories of downtown businesses opening their doors for our Sunday school classes to meet in their spaces each Sunday for nearly two years. Stories of how membership grew and fellowship deepened. Stories of how First Baptist Church rose from the ashes to experience some of her best days as the faithful people of God. Longtime pastor Nelson Duke 
pastor at the time of the fire, gathered this church in the gym not long after the fire and prophesied, saying, when this is all over, we are going to be closer to the Lord and closer to each other. His vision and hope for First Baptist came true. God didn't burn down this building, but God used this burnt down building. God used it to bring God's church closer together. God used the flames of that fire to shine brightly as people witnessed a church's strength and resilience and praise in the face of challenges. God uses it to remind us what matters most. Sometimes it takes something being burnt down for us to see what matters. Maybe it's the burning down of a building or home or career or our health, our reputation or a relationship. Perhaps it's the burning down of a dream, a vision, our expectations of something or even someone. In today's gospel text, Peter and the disciples look at their expectations of Jesus going up in flames. They'd been following Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, with a particular set of hopes and expectations and mistaken ideas about Jesus and his mission. See, just before our passage today, Jesus asks the disciples who people say he is and, more importantly, who they say he is. And Peter, often the spokesperson, whether voted on or not, says, you are the Messiah. And while messianic expectations differed among first century Jews, the idea that a Messiah would deliver the Jews from the Roman oppression was widespread. No one... No one expected a suffering and dying Messiah. Now, we're so familiar with the message of Jesus' crucifixion that it's really hard for us to understand how devastating this message would have been to the disciples. See, everything they had seen and heard of Jesus, all the miracles, the people following, the growing support, led them to believe in a certain expectation and hope for their future until this moment. When Jesus tells them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be killed and rise again three days later, Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him or scolds him. I think you can almost imagine Peter just going over to Jesus and putting his arm around him and taking him aside so as not to embarrass him in front of the rest of them and saying, Jesus, you've got it wrong. The Messiah isn't going to suffer and die. The Messiah is a mighty ruler who will lead Israel to an earthly victory. A Messiah that will help us rule the nations with power and might. Jesus, we we signed on for a crown, not a cross. Peter was so committed to his agenda for Jesus that when Jesus' agenda differed from his, Peter told Jesus he was wrong. Now, we would never do that, would we? You laugh, so you know. It's really easy for us to criticize Peter often in Scripture. 
But how many of us have come to Jesus committed to our hopes and our expectations rather than his expectations? And how many of us are guilty of trying to make Jesus fit our agenda? How many of us have pulled Jesus aside in prayer and said, Jesus, you've got it wrong. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. You see, when we said yes to Jesus, we thought it meant financial security, good health, a smooth, trouble-free life. We thought it meant a picture-perfect family, a dream job, a victory over every battle. But Lord, here I am facing and fighting the same battle over and over again. We thought we'd have the last word over those who broke theirs. We thought, like Peter, that our people would be ruling the nations with power and might. Lord, we want a crown, not a cross. We want victory, not surrender. When Peter's focus shifted to his desires and plans, Jesus rebuked him to get him back on track. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Meaning, get back behind me, Peter, and follow me. Your mind is set on earthly things. Mine are not. When, then turning right after that, to everyone else gathered, Jesus tells them that his way of the cross may be their future too. That those following Christ are asked to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and follow him. And then Jesus doubled down with even more unexpected news, saying, To save your life, you must lose it. This news was so opposite of what the disciples' expectations were and so difficult to comprehend that Jesus would have to repeat it at least twice more, again in Mark chapter 9, in Mark chapter 10. And I believe that listening to Jesus predict his suffering and his death must have been the worst days for the disciples until the day of his death. It must have felt like all their hopes went up in smoke when a conquering Messiah was killed on the cross. Even though Jesus told them that he would suffer and die and rise again, I don't think any of them truly got it until they experienced Good Friday and Easter Sunday. See, Peter was still defending his agenda with a sword in the garden that night when Jesus was arrested, refusing to surrender even though Jesus repeatedly told him that his mission led him to the cross. That because of love, Jesus must suffer and die, taking all sin, including Peter's and ours, upon the cross with him in the most powerful display of sacrificial love and forgiveness. There are just some things that you have to experience before you can understand them. And I think Jesus knew that too, which is why he didn't give up on Peter. Just two verses after our gospel reading today, it says that six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to the mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. A few days after Peter rebuked Jesus, and Jesus rebukes him back and calls him Satan, Jesus invites Peter, along with James and John, up the mountain to witness this miraculous event 
Jesus didn't abandon Peter because he struggled with setting his mind on earthly things. Jesus kept Peter close, walking with him and teaching him what it means to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow Jesus, losing your life to save it. And that gives me a lot of hope. Because, like Peter, I love Jesus. And I believe Jesus is who Jesus says he is. But I also love my ways and my agendas and my comfortable life. I love the crown and I love having the last word. Sometimes I don't want to deny or inconvenience or burden or lose myself, not for others, not even for the sake of the gospel. But I've had just enough moments when I did say no to Melissa and yes to Jesus to know that this is the way to finding yourself, to finding true life. Surrender is freedom. Taking up a cross is the way to create the world that God dreams for all, the world that we really want. It just isn't easy. And it's not about us. According to Mark, Jesus defines discipleship as this conflict between human values and God's values. And taking up your cross means that you're choosing to embrace God's ways for God's glory and the good of the world, even when it costs us. It means living altered lives, daily setting down our agendas, expectations, egos, and lives as a sacrifice to God. It means keeping one's priorities in harmony with what Jesus says matters most, loving God and loving your neighbor. For his weekly feature on On the Road, which airs Fridays on CBS Evening News, Steve Hartman brings viewers from stories, uh, the, brings these stories from unique people all over the United States. It's my favorite thing on TV. We all need some good news like that. And on Friday, the story was about a surprising act of compassion. On January 20th, 2020, a driver hit Rosie Miner's car in DeKalb County, Georgia. And the impact of that crash put her vehicle into a utility pole. And the 75-year-old mom, grandma, and ordained minister died a few hours later at the hospital. Hours before her death, Rosie had called into the church prayer line and offered these words. God showers his grace upon us one after another. So we have every reason in the world to be thankful every day. Those words were her last recorded message alive. Police charged the vehicle's driver, Nakia Cherry, with vehicular murder. She was traveling 73 miles per hour in a 45-mile-per-hour zone. Now, Rosie's daughter, Stacy Green, was understandably consumed by anger. She fell into depression. She lost her job. She was consumed as well with Nakia paying for what she'd done to her mom. Nakia pleaded guilty in the trial. She received a $2,500 fine and was sentenced to 24 months probation and 240 hours of community service for killing Stacy's mom. 
For Stacy, the pain remained. She wondered how you could ever forgive the person that killed your mom, your best friend. Three years after her sentencing, they faced each other in a courtroom with the car insurance company. And toward the end of the trial, attorneys played that same recording of her mom from the prayer line that was recorded hours before her death. And in that moment, Stacy knew what needed to be done. And in the hallway outside the courtroom, she went up to Nakia and she said, I need you to know, I forgive you. I forgive you. The moment took Nakia by complete surprise. She had been praying that Rosie's family would somehow forgive her, even though she could not forgive herself. Stacy's compassion could have ended that day in the courtroom, but it didn't. Instead, she did something her mother would have done. After the accident, Nakia lost her job, her home, her car. A single mother of four, she was struggling. And Stacy reached out and she helped Nakia. She helped her with money, transportation, a temporary place to house. They now speak or text daily. Stacy's like a godmother to her children. And they also now worship side by side at church. Nakia remarked, the world needs more Stacy's. If a lot of people forgave, maybe this world would be a little different. With the death of her mom, Stacy felt like her world had burnt to the ground. But the Spirit of God raised new life from the ashes for her and for Nakia and for their families. The life that can only be found through the power of Christ, through sacrifice and surrender and forgiveness. Like Peter, Stacy had to experience Christ's sacrificial love and forgiveness for her before she could ever offer it to Nakia. That's not something you can do in your own human power. When she heard her mama say, God showers his grace upon us one after another, she knew that she had to lay down her agenda for the sake of the gospel. And in dying to herself, she finally lived again. In the clash between human values and God's values, which will we choose? The one that seeks vengeance or the one that's extravagant in forgiveness? In the clash between earthly kingdoms and Christ and his kingdom, which will we choose? The one that protects self at all costs or the one that pursues sacrifice at all costs for the glory of God and the good of the world. When this is all over, we are going to be closer to the Lord and closer to each other. May the spirit of unity and closeness envisioned by Pastor Duke 39 years ago continue to be the flame that shines brightly from this congregation as Christ's sacrificial love transforms us into people of sacrificial love as well. Pray with me.
Loving God, as we remember today the journey of this congregation, the trial, triumphs, the fire that tested faith, we're reminded with deep gratitude of your unchanging love and faithfulness to us. We thank you for this community's resilience and the stories of strength and courage that emerged from the ashes. Your hand guided us through the darkest hours and your grace sustains us then and now. And God, we recognize the challenge that's presented to us to align our agendas with yours, to surrender our expectations and egos, to embrace the path of sacrifice and service. Lord, grant us the wisdom and the strength to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you. We're reminded, Lord, of the powerful story of forgiveness and compassion, forgiveness made possible only by the work of your spirit. Lord, help us choose the path of forgiveness over vengeance, sacrifice over self-preservation, and love over earthly desires. God, we pray for guidance, for strength, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit as we navigate all the uncertainties of life. May our faith be firm, our love ceaseless, and our commitment to your kingdom and your ways unwavering. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.